right, you open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be studying verses 12 to 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. And the power of a testimony, the elements of a good, powerful testimony, and how that could change and really challenge lives. Um, just this week, I got a call from one of the neighbors here that lives parallel from the church, and she asked if we had cameras because um, the trucks that were out here, some truck hit her fence and knocked it down, and she wants to know if we have witness of that or evidence of that. And uh, I looked at some of the cameras, and it didn't reach that far, and I said, I'm sorry, we don't have um, evidence of that. She goes, I just thought... I would reach out to see if you did. When we think of testimony, we are talking about evidence, something that we've seen, something that we've been a part of, that we can testify to. When they bring somebody from a court into, uh, outside the court, bring them into court and they have to give testimony. They're giving evidence. I've seen this. This is what happened. This is what's true. I didn't have that at Cripple Creek. So you don't know if I gambled or not. <laughs> Right? In fact, what we have here in the church is a false witness. Right? And we won't go there, what he just said, but we'll just drop his support after church. Let's just go on to the next stuff. I got to tell this one. I told it in the first service. I just got, I love this one. It's a pastor that goes to Kenya. And he says, you know, he, Stephen's all worried, you know, hey, the animals are going to eat you. The animals are going to, no, I am the anointed of God. I am a godly person. These animals will obey me. So I'm not worried about what they'll do to me. So this pastor, this arrogant pastor is in the car and, and he says, I'm getting out of the car. No, no, don't get out. There's all kinds of, don't worry. I'm the anointed of God. Animals won't do anything to me. And so he leads a group and this pastor's out there and here comes this buffalo and sure enough, the buffalo does nothing and just goes right by. Here comes an elephant and the elephant goes, sees him and just goes right by. Here comes a lion. Now they're scared. Pastor, don't worry about it. I'm the anointed of God. He's not going to do nothing to me. Lion comes by, gets on his paws, down on all four paws, puts his head down and starts praying. The pastor goes, look at this. Look how anointed of God I am. I even got lions praying. And you know what's coming. The lion said, Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. <laughs> and there goes the guy. Bad one? Uh, that was a bad one, huh? Do you have a testimony? Can you do it in 60 seconds? We challenge people when they come to our church that if you want to become a member here, it's great. We love you. We want you to do that. But you need to have a testimony. You need to be able to share it in less than 60 seconds. Can you do it? They're like, 60 seconds? There's no way. Paul does it. The Apostle Paul does it in verses 12 to 17. In less than 60 seconds, shares his whole testimony. And what we're going to see is we're going to see elements of a good testimony. We're going to see in verse 12 that the first element is an attitude of gratitude. They're looking at our lives. Are we thankful for what God has done in our lives? That's verse 12. 
In verse 13, another element of a good testimony we're going to see here in a moment is we share what we were before Christ. We don't glory in it. We don't sugarcoat it. We just share what we were before we believed in Christ. An element of a good testimony in verses 14 and 15 is going to share what Jesus has done on the cross. It's the gospel. If we do not share the gospel, we have not shared a good testimony. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it has done. And then we're going to see in verses 16 and 17 in a couple hours from now, we're going to see that the element of a good testimony is we allow God to be the hero of our story. Sometimes we get up here and we like to give testimonies and we're the hero of the story. No, we are not. God is the hero of our stories. He's the one that changed us. He's the one that is coming to our lives. He is the one that gets all the honor and glory, not us. So watch how Paul does this. This is amazing. Right here in these verses, he shares his testimony. Remember last week when we got to verse 11, he starts to talk about how the Lord has entrusted to him the gospel, the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and how he's been entrusted with that. But as he's thinking about that, he's going to talk about he's not only been entrusted with the gospel, but he's been impacted by the gospel. The gospel impacted his life. In fact, look at verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. Present tense in the Greek. He is not just giving thanks once. Like, thank you, God. He is continually giving thanks to God. His life has an attitude of gratitude. Let's be careful with that because some don't have that. They complain about everything that there is out there. But not Paul. Paul in verse 12, he is so thankful to God. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. And he's going to give three reasons in verse 12 why he's, why he's thankful. He says, I, I, I thank him. I just can't stop thanking him. Why? The first thing is because he strengthened me. Past tense, he's looking back at a moment where God changed his life and gave him a new motivation and a new power to live for God. He gave him the Holy Spirit, praise God. And now Paul is saying, I'm looking back at my life and I just want to thank God. I want to thank God that I have a new reason to live and I have new power to live. He gave me strength. In fact, later on in his life, he could say this, the most quoted verse that people quote, Philippians 4.13, it says what? I can do all things through Christ that does what? Strengthens me. He gave me power. He gave me motivation. He gave me a new reason to live. I'm thanking God because he changed me. He strengthened me. And look what he did, verse 12. He considered me faithful. In other words, it's saying here that God had confidence in Paul. God believed in Paul. Paul wasn't the most skillful. Paul wasn't the most knowledgeable. But God could depend upon Paul. Paul was faithful. I tell you, there is nothing in this world when somebody says to you, I believe in you. I think you can do this. I, I remember growing up as a kid and I'd have professors and teachers that would tell me, Jeremy, you're never going to amount to anything. I remember my first college professor, when I went as a math major, she looked at me and said, you will not pass my class. And guess what? I didn't pass her class. And she said, I know people like you. You think you know it all. You'll never amount to anything. 
And then I get to Bible college, wondering, am I ever going to amount to anything? And this first professor that I had, Dr. Turk, he looked at me and said, Jeremy, I think God is going to do something in your life. Not only that, at the end of my three years there, he calls me into his office and he shows me his library. And he goes like this, Jeremy, pick any book you want. Because I really believe God is going to use you one day in the ministry. Why me? God depended and said, you know what, Paul? I consider you faithful. I consider you someone I can depend upon. Paul can't stop thanking God for that. He's like, wow, Lord, unbelievable. You, you, you strengthened me. You, you actually consider me faithful. You, someone you can depend upon and entrust with your work. And not only that, look at this. God put him where? In the service. Literally being a deacon is the word there. Deaconing. Serving. This is not just church planning and, and, and all that. It's more than that. This embarks all things of life. When, when we thank God in our testimony, we're thanking God for what? For God giving us the strength, for God depending upon us and, and, and looking at us as somebody he can count upon, which is amazing to think about that he would just do that. And God allowing us to serve. Here's the problem. Some people look at service as a burden. Some people look at service as, as a hassle, as an interruption to their life. Oh, where you go? I got to go serve God today. Or something that's inconvenient in their lives. Let me tell you something. Serving God is a privilege. Yes. He doesn't need any of us. It is an honor. And we don't just serve God in the church. We serve God in the home. And we serve God at work as well. We serve God. It is a privilege to be a testimony. To have an attitude of gratitude that we are allowed to serve God. That He would even allow us or use us. It is amazing. He doesn't say, oh, wow, look at the sacrifice I'm making for God. He never says that. He's just saying, you know what? I am thankful to God that he would even use me to do his work here on the earth. Do you have that attitude? Before we even get into how to share a testimony, our attitude of gratitude is going to say a lot to other people. If we're complaining about our life and we're saying God did this to me and God did that to me and we are not really thanking God and saying, God, thank you for changing me and giving me new motivation. Thank you for, for using me as a vessel in your work. Thank you for allowing me to serve. We can't even go on to the next part. It is that attitude, thanking God for allowing us to serve him. You know, sometimes churches have to manipulate people to serve and twist your arm. God doesn't need us. If we don't want to serve, somebody else will. He'll get somebody else. There's no need to, to manipulate. There's no reason to twist the arm because it is a privilege to serve Him. Amen. It is an honor to do something for God. And so remember that when you're folding laundry. That's an honor to do that for God. Or changing a diaper, some of you. I miss those. No, I don't miss those days. I miss. <laughs> Or out on the tennis court, wherever we may be serving God. It is an honor and it is a privilege. And we ought to have an attitude of gratitude when we're doing it. Thank you, Lord. Why would you use me? Why? Look at verse 13. He looks at his past. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't glory in it. We got to be careful about that. Some people like to glory in their past. He doesn't do that. He says, look who I was. Even though I was what? Formerly... 
and he's going to mention three things. You see, this is important. If we're going to have an attitude of gratitude in our testimony, we got to understand who we were before Jesus. We'll never forget who we were before Christ. Because when we think about that, we thank God for who we are in Christ. What a difference by God's grace. He says, this is who I was. Watch who he was. This is amazing. Who was Paul? He was a blasphemer. He was somebody who spoke against God. Who spoke words against Jesus. Who, 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 who's told other people and actually told other people, you need to renounce your faith. You need to say that Jesus is not God. I remember in college vividly saying one time to somebody, you're talking about God so much. I hate God. I hate him. Paul hated God. By, way, by the way, blasphemer, when it talks about that under Jewish law, if somebody was to blaspheme God, they deserve to die. He's thinking about that. I deserve to die. I, I spoke against Jesus as, he, as if he wasn't God. Not only that, I was a hunter. Look at this. I was a persecutor. I went after people, male, female. It did not, he didn't care. He would take them out of their houses, drag them to prison. Paul was a, was a persecutor. He was a hunter. He, he didn't just care about him not believing in Jesus. He thought no one should believe in Jesus. And not only that, he was a violent aggressor. The word there in our English, we could use the word, he was a bully. He was one that used his words to degrade other people or to mistreat people. We ran into that yesterday in the tennis courts when the other coach started to yell at our kids. It's one thing if you yell at me. It's one thing if you yell at a parent, but to yell at our kids. I said, you can't yell at our kids. You got to watch how you talk to our kids. How can you do that? Bullies. Like to use their words to mistreat people and say things about them. Isn't it amazing when a coach is like that, his players are like that? Because they watch our lives. Paul was that way. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say, oh, you know, this and that. He just says, this is who I was. I deserve to die. I, I said, told people they shouldn't believe in Jesus. I went after him and I humiliated people and I used my words. I was a bully. I was a violent person. Yet, look what he says. I was shown mercy. God mercied me or he gave me pity. Why? Because he acted ignorantly in unbelief. In other words, Paul really thought he was doing God a service by stopping others from believing in Jesus. He really thought he was doing God's work. But let me just tell you something. Being ignorant doesn't make you innocent. Try saying that to a cop when he pulls you over and you say to him, you know what? I didn't know it was 20 miles an hour. I was doing 50. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Our kids, when they were younger, when they would do something and we'd, we'd, we'd confront them, they would use the word accidentally. Right? Have you heard those before? And they'd say, I accidentally hit him. Right? No, you didn't accidentally hit him. You hit him. Being ignorant doesn't make us innocent. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, he said these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They were ignorant, but they were guilty. 
But here's what's interesting under Jewish law. The Jewish law in Leviticus, if you ever study chapter 5 out, it makes a provision for people who sin ignorantly. In other words, it gives room for God's grace and God's mercy. If you did it willingly, God would cut you off from the people. But if you did it ignorantly, he would give room. But he was still guilty. So here's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, even though I, I, I told people they shouldn't believe in Jesus and I hunted them down and I bullied them, even though I did that, God had pity on me because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. He gave me room to get saved. In fact, here's what's beautiful, verse 14. The grace of our Lord, look at this, was what? More than abundant. Don't miss that word. Those three words are just one word in the Greek. Hyperabundant, overflowing. All the things I said about God, he's thinking about. All the things I made other people do. All the murders that I consented to. All the bullying I did. The grace of God was more abundant than that. Praise God. The unmerited favor of God. In other words, no matter how much we do against God, God can still forgive us. He says the grace is, is, is overabundant. Look what the grace does. This is amazing in verse, in verse 14. It not only forgives our sins and now we have forgiven, but it also gives us the faith we need to believe. Now I believe in Christ with the faith, the trust I have in Christ, and now I love God. One person put it this way. I think it was Worsby. Paul went from a persecutor to a preacher, from a murderer to a minister, from ignorant to believing in Jesus Christ and loving God. That, my friends, is called the grace of God. That took somebody who formerly was all this and now could say, I believe and I love God all by his grace. You say, how is that possible? How is it possible that murderers can go to heaven? How is it possible that people that kidnap and and, and, and hurt people can go to heaven. How, how, how is it possible that somebody who's immoral can go to heaven? How, how is it possible that somebody who hated God and made other people and tried to make other people hate God go to heaven? How, how is it possible that, that somebody who doesn't live for God their whole life, but in the last few moments of their life turns to God, can go to heaven? How is that possible? Well, look at verse 15. Here it is. You want to know? It's right here in this passage. Here it is to the next element of a good testimony here. We share what Jesus Christ has done. Watch this. It is a trustworthy statement. It is a statement. Paul uses this five times. This is a statement that you can bet your life on. When we were in Cripple Creek, we came back broke. Let me be honest. You know why we came back broke? We took them out to dinner. People from Kenya eat a lot. We would have saved a few pennies before we went to Cripple Creek if we would have known that. They ate a lot. We figured we'd give them a Dutch Brothers on the way up to kind of get their stomachs not to eat a lot. But no, no, that didn't stop them. No, they ate. They ate. Yeah. <laughs> Paul says this, you want to bet? You like to bet? You want to bet? You want to bet your life on something? You want to put all the chips on the table? 
That's what this phrase means. Throw it all. Bet your life on this. Here's a statement that you should accept. That you need to fully accept. Bet everything you got on this. Stake your life on this statement. You want to know what Christ has done? Look what he's done. Verse 15. Here is the, the, the a full acceptance deserving of it. Here's what he's done. Christ Jesus did what? He came into the world to save who? Sinners. He didn't come into the world to give us good health. He didn't come into the world to save us from an addiction. He didn't come into the world to save us from a bad marriage. He came into the world to save our souls. Our souls. Sinners. What kind of sinners? I asked one of the tennis guys, did you listen to my sermon on Sunday because he came? He said, yeah. You said, homosexuality is a sin. I said, is that all you heard? He goes, no. You said, pornea is this and, and killing me. I mean, he knew the whole sermon. He said, you said the gospel. And they called it the gospel. Gospel. They couldn't say gossip, gospel. They said it's the gossip poll. What is the gossip poll? Oh, you want to know what the gossip poll is? I'll tell you what it is. Jesus came to save sinners. What kind? Well, you remember the list? Oh, let me just remind you. The lawless and the rebellious. The ungodly. The unholy. The profane. The ones that kill their mothers and fathers. Murderers. People who are immoral with women and people who are immoral with men. Homosexuals. Kidnappers who abuse children. Liars, perjurers, and anything else on the list. Jesus Christ came to rescue their souls. That's the gospel. Here he is in the midst of it all and he says, this is what I was. But this is what Jesus has done. And how does Paul see himself once he's accepted the gospel? Look at verse 15. He sees himself as what? Among whom I am the foremost. I am the chief. Chief of what? Paul, are you saying you're worse than a liar? Yeah. Are you saying you're worse than a murderer? Yeah. Are you saying you're worse than a kidnapper? Yeah. Are you saying you're worse than an immoral person? Yeah. Are you saying you're worse than a homosexual, Paul? Yeah. Get your list out. And put me on the top. I'm the worst. Because when someone gets saved, they don't go around saying, you know what, look at me now. I'm just the best person in the world. I was this, and now I'm great! No, the closer we get to God, the more we realize, how in the world could He ever save me? Paul says, I am a sinner. I remain a sinner, but I am a sinner now saved by grace. Don't forget that. Are you a saint or are you a sinner? The answer is yes. yes. <laughs> but when you're describing yourself, remember who you are. He says, I am the foremost of this. I'm at the top of that list that I just mentioned before. I am the worst. The closer we get to God... Like Isaiah, when he, when he saw the Lord, he said, what? I am of what? Unclean lips. How could God ever even save me? I, I, I'm a sinner. I'm the worst. And now watch this. He makes God the hero of his story. And this is what we need to do. 
Why did God ever even save us? You ever think about that? Why did God ever even give us eternal life? Why, why does God send somebody into our lives to preach the gospel and we believe and get saved? Why does God do that? Does God do that so we could just go to heaven with him? If we think that, we've missed it. I'll tell you why God has done it. Look at verse 16. And don't miss this. Yet for this reason, what reason? That Jesus came. This reason I found mercy. Why did Paul get saved? Here's why. So that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his, and don't miss these next two words, perfect patience. His long suffering with us. The word patience there in the Greek means holding back the judgment that somebody deserves. And his patience is perfect. He puts another Greek word next to it. He says, it is perfect. Do you know why God saves us? To show to the world how patient he is with sinners like us. Yes. We'll never miss that. And we're not patient with people. And yet every now and then we get a glimpses of his patience. Like the young girl, she was in her teens. She was given a testimony in Houston recently because her father was shot. He worked for the police department. He was killed by somebody. The guy that killed him was in stable condition while she was talking. And she said, you know, one day I hope to meet this man. And she says, I don't want to meet the man that killed my father so that I can yell at him or tell him off or tell him he took my best friend. She says, I want to meet him because I want an opportunity to preach the gospel to him and so that he can get saved. Amen. That, my friends, is called patience. Yes. The only reason why we're still here is because of the perfect patience of God. In fact, look at this in verse 16. He may demonstrate his perfect patience as a what? An example, an outline sketch. God wants to use our lives as a sketch of his grace so that people can see what it means to be saved and how he has patience with us. And we all are different. Here's what's amazing. We have six people in our home and all of our testimonies, well, now we have four, but all of our testimonies are different. All of them are a sketch of God's grace. And so are you. Somebody says, well, I got saved at five years old. How is that a sketch? Praise God for that. You were not saved out of those sins, but you were saved from those sins. And praise God for that. Yes. Everyone is a sketch of God's grace when we come to Christ. And Paul is saying this in verse 16. If God can save me, he can save anyone. In fact, look what he says here in verse 16. He says, he is a what? He demonstrates his perfect patience as an example, an outline sketch for those in the future who would believe in him for eternal life. How do we get saved? We believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We put our faith alone in him alone to be saved. And the moment we do that, we have eternal life. Now watch how God is the hero here. He doesn't say, now look at me, everybody. I'm the sketch. He doesn't say that at all. Verse 17, he says this. Now to the king. You know who our God is? Our God is eternal. He has no beginning, no end. Our God is immortal. He never decays. 
never fades away. He continues on. <laughs> Edna and I, we were looking at pictures of a, a friend of ours in seminary. And Edna is very transparent. And she sees the picture of this guy. She goes like this. <gasps> what happened? <laughs> He's decayed over 20 years. And then she said this beautiful godly line, what went wrong? (laughs) You know what goes wrong? We get old. We decay. God does not. He's immortal. He's eternal. Look what he is here. He's invisible. Watch out with those who say, I saw God the other day. No, you didn't. He's invisible. He's manifested himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the only God. There's no other God. In fact, he's the one that deserves the honor. He's the one that deserves the glory forever and ever. You say, can God use a testimony? Look at this. Stephen and I, when we were in school, there was a a guy there named Andy, who later he became a Greek professor. His wife, Robin, young 40s. Finds out that she has cancer. They had treatment. It went away. The cancer came back. And she writes this testimony. Young 40s. Two kids. One 11 and one, I, don't, I think, seven or younger. Listen to what she says in her testimony. She says, an update like this is not one I would ever expect to give at this time in my life. But God had this time in my life earlier, not later than I would have planned. It's been a week, and actually much longer, of very difficult decisions. But the time has come to stop my further cancer treatments on my body. I'm not responding well to them, my body is not recovering, and the cancer is spreading rapidly and aggressively. My doctors are in agreement that the best course of action from here is for me to transfer to comfort and pain management. She's a mother of young 40s. I've moved to a hospice house in Des Moines yesterday where they can give me the the round-the-clock care that I will need going forward. It is a very comfortable place, and the staff has been so helpful and kind to our family. Now watch this. I don't know how big or small the impact we are having on the doctors, the nurses, and the people we are coming in contact with. But I am trusting that they will be able to see a difference in the way we are preparing with our grief and hope to come. We do not know how many days we have on this earth. God knew before I was ever born the exact amount that I would be given. He planned his perfect will, the exact amount of days I would be given with Andy, with Evan, my my son, and Abby, my daughter, and all my family and friends whom I love. God's goodness has no limit His love has no limit for me or my family who will be left here. My peace and hope comes from knowing where I will go after my time here on earth is done. Now watch this. Here's a lady who's dying, who's sharing her last words on Facebook. And what does she do? She says this. I was young when I heard the gospel at VBS, the truth that Jesus Christ has given his life for me. I was a sinner in need of a perfect sacrifice to take my place. At VBS, when I was almost five years old, I put my trust in Christ. I asked for forgiveness for my sins and believed that Jesus had taken my place on the cross. 
I know that I have eternity in heaven with all other believers and with God my Father. My hope and comfort lies in this truth. And then she says this. If you do not know the love of Christ or know for sure where you're spending eternity, it would be the greatest gift to me if you would ask me. She says, I'm sad to leave this earth. My family and those who I hold dear. But all of this made bearable because of the hope I have in Christ. And because I know that this is just a pause for me, I will get to see those who are dear to me who have gone before me and eventually the ones who are still here on earth when I leave. That's a testimony. You all have it if you know Jesus. It starts with an attitude of gratitude. And then allowing people to understand who we were before Christ. What Christ has done for us on the cross. And who we are now by the grace of God. And allowing God to be the hero of our stories. She is a wonderful testimony how it is to live for Christ. And to know die is gain. You have that. You know what I love about testimonies? It's not like we're preaching at people and dialoguing and trying to convince somebody. We're just sharing our spiritual story. We're saying, can I tell you what happened to me? This is who I was. I, I trusted in things. I thought I was the good one. I thought I deserved to go to heaven. If anyone was going to hell, it was my brother. It wasn't me. I was the good one. I was the one that went to school. I was the one that tried not to lie. I was the one that did all these things. But then I realized... That it's not by works of righteousness which we could do. But what Christ has done on the cross for us. And when I was 20 years old, when I was by myself, hearing these words, Jeremy, Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again. I put my trust in Christ. And my life changed. And I, the closer I get to him, the more I stand and wonder, why, why would he ever want me and believe in me and put me in the service? You have a testimony. Share it. Share it with others. And we don't know the impact we're going to make on lives. But wouldn't it be great we get to heaven and somebody says, you know what? I didn't believe in Jesus, but you came and you shared your testimony with me. And now I do believe in Christ. And now I can spend eternity with you. Wouldn't that be amazing? Let's do it. Practice on your family. And then go out and share it with others. It's amazing how even spouses don't know each other's testimonies. It's incredible. I remember sitting with a couple and the guy goes, yeah, uh, she, go, she told me her testimony and all right, now you share your testimony. Oh, I don't have one. I'm not saved. She goes, what? I didn't even know that. <laughs> we went and we did the gospel with him and praise God, he got saved. Some spouses don't even know. Share it with one another. And let me say this. In all, you know me. If you don't have a testimony, worry. Because it could be you don't know Jesus. And this is a matter of heaven and hell. Not just becoming a member here. We care more about your souls and your friendship. And if you cannot articulate a before or when Christ came and how you are now, something is wrong. 
So come to us. We're here for you. We want to help you. We want you to know for sure if you die tonight, you're going to be with Jesus. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you so much for Paul's life. Thank you for Robin's life and her testimony on these last few days of her life. Sometimes I wonder if I'd want to know if I only had a few weeks left. But God, I pray before that moment comes, and it may be today, I don't know, that people can see in all of our lives an attitude of gratitude. That truly we thank you for changing us, giving us the power to live for you. Thanking you for looking at us and saying, yeah, that's someone I could depend upon. Thanking you for allowing us the privilege of serving you. Sometimes we have a bad attitude about that and we grumble about it, but Lord, it is such a privilege to serve you. Help us to never get over that wonder. And God, I I thank you so much that although all of us, our stories are different, we were certain kinds of people in the past that Jesus came to rescue us from our sins. He died on a cross, was buried, and he rose again. And we have eternal life because we believe in him and him alone. Lord, we are our sketches of your grace outlines people are watching examples so help them to see your grace and may you get the glory father i don't know everyone's heart here you do but lord i pray maybe there's someone here and says i don't have a testimony i don't know there wasn't a before there isn't when christ came into my life there isn't an after father i pray that today would be the day that they would humbly come before you and say, Lord, here I am, a sinner. I have failed you. I don't deserve to have a relationship with you. I never will. I can't be good enough. I can't earn it. But thank you for sending your son. He died in my place. He was buried and he rose again for all my sins. And Lord, right now, I want to put my trust in him alone for salvation. Will Jesus come and save me? He will. For the Bible says, for all who call upon him will be saved. (coughs) Lord, thank you so much for your word. Help us, Lord, to leave here challenged. And I pray that this week you would bring people into our lives that we can share our story with. And that we would have the courage and the boldness to share it. And to take the pressure off the other person and just say, can I just share with you what happened to me and that we would be making you the hero of our stories. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.